Welcome to Take Note. This is, uh, I believe it's our 155th episode of this podcast about, well, you know, we carry notebooks around in our pockets and then we talk about the life that we've built around that practice. Is that fair, Adam? I'm here with Adam. It's, Hello, Adam. it's fair that that's what that's about. I don't think it's fair that it's the 155th episode. Uh, it doesn't bother me, but if it's going to bother you, we can correct it. If it doesn't bother our accountant, it doesn't bother me, and we don't have an accountant, so let's just move ahead, shall we? Well, every uh, every episode we ask each other a question, what do you got, means, Adam, what have you written down in your notebook lately? Well, Ted, it's really nice to, uh, it's good to walk into the dry cleaner and walk out with uh, what I'm calling an automatic, what do you got? No questions asked. <laughs> a week ago, when this happened, I knew that I would be talking about it tonight. Took my sweats. It's an auto god. An auto god. Yeah. <laughs> I took my sweat stained N plus one baseball cap to the dry cleaner. <laughs> uh, my wife's friend suggested it. At the dry cleaner, they told me they don't clean hats. Maybe I should try TikTok. You can learn <laughs> to clean anything there. That's what I've heard. Yep. I refuse. I refuse to take part, but that's what I've heard. Yep. Me too. Me too. What do you got? Are you sure they just weren't anti-intellectuals? No, it looks like, first off, listeners, all of you listeners out there, you got to buy this hat. It looks like the monster logo, right? The M and the monster, but then they uh, they put a plus between, and they just make it N plus one. Like they break the M up into two pieces, and they put a little plus between it, That's so right. it says N plus one. It's the best hat. I did, I turned to my son, though, and I did say, uh, Logan, I want you to realize there's, there is something wrong with me, because why that... Why do I choose to wear a hat that makes people like conf- what, confused? Look at me yeah. confused. Yep. And then they're still confused, and then they don't ask what it is. Really, they just walk away. You know, in the they never get to the punchline. No, no. In in the winter, I wear the Ebbets Field hats. Right, I got the Tomba Unions hat. Sure. Everybody loves that. I've got a uh, uh, the Cerveza. This Cuban Cerveza company with the polar bear hat, I got that hat too. Those are great. People people are confused by those, but they ask. They want to ask. The N plus one hat, <laughs> they don't. But um, it, it so uh, so uh, Jennifer's friend took it to her cleaners where they do the hats and uh, got it back and I, and texted me that it was ready. And, and I, I texted my wife and I said, I can't wait for everybody to see how cool I am again. <laughs> the reason I saw it is because there was that that nice and funny New Yorker article by Rachel Syme about uh, embracing ironic hats, and you tweeted your hat mm-hmm. to her and I think Lauren Collins, who's who's rocketed above Adam Gopnik to become my favorite New Yorker writer. By the way, sorry Gopnik, um, but I'm with you. Sorry Gops. <laughs> sorry Gops. Um, we but you tweeted yours. Sorry, and... Gops. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to see yours, and and I was I was inspired. I haven't I haven't purchased any additional ironic hats yet. I too have a bunch of Ebbets Field, but I was inspired on my favorite cap of the moment, which is a hat for the Big Bend Sentinel out of Marfa, Texas, which is a actually a really good small local newspaper. Uh, I bent my hat in the in the in the traditional dad cap bend for the first time in many years. I've worn flat caps for like flat build for a long time. I was I I this this article inspired me to embrace the true 
dad cappiness of it. So that was my that was my takeaway. But I did get to see your confusing hat. I have a hat that's uh, it's an Ebbets Field. Um, it's um, it's for the Fuji Athletic Club, and it has a cool. I'm even forgetting what it is, but maybe it says FA or something. And nobody can tell the letters that it actually says, and they always think it say, "Oh, I thought it said etc." or "I thought it said." And, so it's just, uh, and they, but they never ask. So it's just, I know everybody's kind of disappointed <laughs> that they can't figure out what they're looking at. It's a beautiful hat, though. I need to go to a uh, reception this fall, an event that we're putting on. It's going to be, uh, I don't know, sports themed. Everyone will be encouraged to wear the jersey from their favorite sports team. And okay. so, <laughs> you know, a lot of decisions. Do I buy the Kansas City Cats? sweatshirt and walk around with the cat sweatshirt i don't know if you've seen that one it's a goofy smiley cat um yeah do i dare get the um portland beavers jersey i mean i think sure. it would be a huge hit yeah <laughs> yep uh, well your 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 crowd is uh your crowd is not unfamiliar with a a saucy a saucy work-friendly bit of humor is it i'm not sure we'll find out <laughs> we probably won't <laughs> Uh, what do you got, Ted? Uh, let's see. Okay, this is these are scenes from an eight and under baseball travel tournament team tournament. Scenes from a, a youth baseball tournament. Uh, my son was standing with three or four of his friends around, and I was just kind of listening in. They didn't really know it, and he said, Raise your hand if you like Flamin' Hot Cheetos. <laughs> Three uh, three kids raised their hand. Fourth kid went, eh. So that's three three and a half out of four stars for Flaming Hot Cheetos. Um, let's see. Young man was uh, was hitting and trying to hit the baseball. Swung and missed. First base coach says, Randall, your eyes were closed. The sun was directly in Randall's eyes uh, throughout the whole <laughs> process. Um uh, coach, uh, third base coach, talking to uh, talking to the hitter. I need a level swing, Dad. Called every kid Dad. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, okay, old white dude complains for three minutes very loudly about something that's happened on the field. Uh, he has the rule explained to him very clearly. Says, "Okay, then." Quietly, uh, doesn't mention another word of it. And then the coaches and the umpire proceed to conduct uh, an entire minute-long in-depth explanation entirely in Spanish. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. This is a bit of a dialogue. This was in warm-ups before a game. Uh, the coach of our 8U team was hitting fly balls, and Ewan was catching them, shagging them. When they came back in, he said to the coach, can you hit the ball over the fence? Coach takes a beat and says, yes. Ewan says, can you do it now? <laughs> no reply. Coach continues to hit fungo. Ewan says, guess not. <laughs> uh, five minutes later, without a word, Coach flips one up and blasts it over the left field fence. And his, uh, his team was amazed and wowed and stunned by that. Uh, after a little while, beverage management uh, on, the, on the phone chat for the team starts to sound like a frat party prep. I've got 20. Do we need more? Where's the ice? <laughs> and finally, this is an extended dialogue that I heard 
from behind me and I couldn't even turn around. It was like four feet away. I was just listening and then eventually scribbling down every word, but it was, it was who sounded like a coach, uh, talking to some parents. Uh, so this is the coach. Saw you at the taqueria. Lady says, me? Yeah, yeah, or the taqueria over there. At the, the Mishawakana? Yeah. No, it wasn't me. Well, he said you were over there. <laughs> anyway, I need your $5. Hand me, I only take cash. They hand him uh, some cash. This smells like weed. They say, no. He says, I'm just messing with you. Hey, uh, you want another shirt? It's $35. Those were scenes from the eight and under baseball tournament. Is the Michigan Happy Summer? Is the Michicana? Is that the Palateria? That's the. Uh, is it the what? The, do they have paletas there? Little Mexican popsicles. Probably it's a it's a grocery store. Oh okay, our Michicana. I'm sorry, ours I believe is Michicana Premium. It's a okay. it's ice cream shop. It's a Mexican ice cream shop with the best, oh, the best uh, little popsicles you can get. It's great. Oh, nice. Every year, last week before school is a holiday we've invented. I've invented called Paleta Week, which my kids act like is a real thing. <laughs> like I just love it. They're like, oh, it's when's Paleta Week again? Last week before school, and we try to get a Paleta every week, every day. They're great. That's awesome. Yeah, you get some of the water-based ones. You don't always have to get dairy-based ones. You can make it a light treat. Sure. Yep. Sure. I mean, when you go to the premium, you get the choice. Yeah, let me check on a premium. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a big, uh, big grocery store. You could probably get them there. I'm guessing they have everything. But uh, all right, so big project, the real deal. Uh, we both read every story in the July New Yorker fiction issue. That's right. We're going to talk about him. We don't have Ryan Sly here, though, because, uh, you know, we've only contracted him every 10 episodes. And so, you know, we tried to slide this one in on him, but his math's good. And he realized that uh, it has not, it's not been 10 episodes. And so... I I talked to our our accountant about it, tried to see if we could uh, log some kind of an exception. Apparently contracts are binding. Yeah. He's probably going to be on a different station podcast. It's more like a common law contract, I would say, but nonetheless. What would you do if Ryan Sly just showed up on the pen addict, like this week? Yeah, that would hurt. Yeah. That would hurt. All right. Um, but, hey, Ryan, if you go over there, just mention us. Just put in a put in a good word for your old pals over here, toiling away in, in, the, in the minor leagues. Decasodes. <laughs> toiling away between decasodes. When you speak of us... Uh, speak well um so there's four stories uh one of them is short and the others are 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 decently decently long um some good some good solid stuff in there uh so shall we just dig in let's dig in yeah yeah i mean that we don't have any formula for talking about fiction i'm i'm all geeked up these days because i've just wrapped up my writing workshop that i'm taking this summer which has been in person around a table with a group of uh folks who are writing fiction so i've i've my brain's churn out churning along it doesn't guarantee any additional uh uh articulacy for example thinking that that word was going to do the job here oh articulacy um, will work did it did that put you in the mind of when you were reading these stories 
thinking at times like, well, what, what is the point of this that I'm reading right now? That happened to me a couple times, both in the positive yeah. and the negative. Yeah, I mean, I don't tend to be an obsessive um, second guesser when I'm reading anything, really. I'm, I'm a little lazier than that. I think there were some moments where, um, you know, I think I've probably thought more about where a story begins and where it ends than I have, you know, prior. Um, there's really only one, the Kushner story is really the only one where I kind of question, you know, where it concluded. But um, Wow, well, let's get to that yeah, one third. That's the... exciting. <laughs> That's a teaser. Yeah. Um, anyway, shall we dig in? Yeah. The first, um, the first story is Call Me Ishmael, uh, called An Early Story by Shirley Jackson. And I read a little bit about this one on their blog after I read the story. So this was actually published, one of our first published stories, I believe, and published in a... Um, in a journal, I, I want to say a student journal, early on, really early on in her career. Um, and it's a story about a woman and her difficult mother. And it seems like the mother got uh, a tenant kicked out of her uh, apartment building. Is that, does that sound, does that ring true to you? My, sh- yeah. Yeah, okay. It was the first one I well, read, I think... so it's been a, it's been. Yeah, and I, I actually reread it quickly because it was it had faded in my in my mind but it's it ultimately it's a story about language Mm -hmm. um the the narrator is uh well the let's say the the point of view um is uh you know someone talking to their mother about this other figure uh but they they sort of are relentlessly uh deconstructing every sentence that their mother is speaking and it is it's short so it's a a conceit that um that i don't think would have lasted much longer given the kind of it it was it was tying my brain in knots trying to track it and much of it i sort of glossed over um you know this obsessive um like again it was not the concreteness of the act of forcing a woman out of a house that was important it was the fact of mentioning it to the landlord it's like there's only so much of that that you can actually follow along with, but it was interesting to to read this kind of play by play of someone whom the the narrator felt was an overbearing or or um, kind of unfair mother figure, and they you know she calls her mother with a capital M. I um... Shirley Jackson's one of those writers that only in the last few years, as as I've started listening to more literature podcast i just i knew nothing about her i didn't i don't know her famous works that i now know to be famous and i i mean i was an american literature major in college so it i don't i can't really fathom how she slipped past me but there you have it maybe there just wasn't a lot of like um respect for her at the university level 20 years ago maybe right maybe it just wasn't part of curriculum and now that that would that would require me to accept the fact that I went to college twenty years ago. But, but barring that, um, yeah, I, that that would be fascinating. I mean, it. I went to school in New England. She seems to be a New England writer. It 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 baffles my mind. But there's a few of those. There's a few of those. I put um. The writer of. Wide Sargasso Sea, that was another book that I I never read. That like Marlon James 
it's it's like in his his pantheon. Is that Reese? Um, Reese, Jean Reese, I think that yeah. is. I put her in the same category. I'm like, I don't know how, I don't know how that slipped past me. But um, so anyway, what do you think of this little this little ditty? Well, there wasn't much of a story there in that the story was exactly one page. Um, I think there's a Donald Bartholm story that was exactly one page as well, but it's got to be one of the shortest the New Yorkers ever published. There just wasn't a lot there. And if I didn't find it relatable in that it's about a difficult mother, and if I didn't kind of, if I wasn't really in the mood to be like, okay, yeah, this is trying to decode uh, the difficult mother, I don't really think there'd be anything there for me. I mean, it was just, you know, it's, it's almost barely a story, I guess I would say. No offense. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. Barely a story, not too much to talk about. Um, like Shirley Jackson, and um, read a novel by her a couple of years ago that Marlon James recommended that I'm... Um, I'm not blanking on the name. I have the wrong name in my head. But, um, you know, that was kind of the, the extent of it. And I couldn't really track that whole... Um, every part of piece of language that every word that the mother was saying the narrator trying to decode but i liked the idea of it yeah it's almost kind of a parlor trick of a story like flexing the writer flexing their muscles um i did think it was interesting that last year they published a proust story um that was that was similar it was like you know had hints hints of the the bigger the bigger story of Proust's writing, but in and of itself was kind of uh, you know didn't didn't feel grand on its own terms. Now, what I don't know does the New Yorker always publish something older from a from a scion, or is that a yeah? So I don't know about always, but two years ago it was a Hemingway story that would oh, yeah. later become Old Man in the Sea, I think, or part of it would become right. Old Man in the Sea. No, you're right. And, you know, so yeah. it's interesting. They're never my favorite, but I guess in, an, right. in a magazine dedicated to fiction where you're going to publish a bunch of stories, it is an interesting sort of... It's a way to publish a story that's more than just a story. It's like a, a historical yeah. curiosity as well. Yeah. And so it's not well, an I, article about them, but I, it's a different way yeah. to think about them. I mean, I went... I, I read... The first uh, book, Proust, In Search of Lost Time. And then after having read that, the the New Yorker story just made, it gleamed like a little jewel. Like his whole, you know, writerly view of the world made sense to me so I could go back and see it in a larger context. And maybe that's true with this story too. Um, But uh, yeah, on their own, they're, they're kind of, they're definitely like a little fragment not a fragment but a a glimpse let's call it but i thought it was a good way to start the selection because it it gets you it, it got me into a kind of um you know fictiony mindset um kind of a combative fictional character <laughs> uh state of mind which the second story, and we're kind of going down as it is in the table of contents here, is Brian Washington's Arrivals, which um, which is combative in its own way. Certainly, certainly, certainly a divergent style. Um, but I would, I mean, I've I've now read his novel, I've read his short stories, and some of his um, 
New York Times articles. He writes about food a lot. And, you know, full disclosure, he's a, he's a Houston guy. I live in Houston. Um, but what I can say about this story is that his, his voice is his voice. And he is, you know, th- this story did not change the, the mold that he's established for, for what his style is. And uh, to me, it's 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 a real. Here here's here's my voice, <laughs> deal with it, kind of a situation. What did you think of the story? So yeah, he it didn't. And I think it's the voice that doesn't work for me. It's exactly the voice, and that's his voice. So and it works for him, and it works for others. So that's fine. But I you know I had to think about it for a long time and try to think about why it might not work for me. And I guess I I don't have the why to it, actually. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the kind of, I don't even know if rat-a-tat is the right word, but it's one thing after another. And um, there's a lot of repetition, which to me sometimes works in stories. But in this case, uh, arrivals refers to him um, arriving to visit his uh, secret boyfriend, who is a... um, an actor in major motion pictures, but um, who is closeted. And uh, so he, he flies the narrator. It's a second-person story, so you arrive at such-and-such. Such. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he arrive, and there is detail after... There's one, you know, um, limo driver or Uber driver after another, and details about them, and it is diaristic to me. And what I don't get is that, for me it does not seem to really add up to something and i and i i don't understand why those all of those individual pieces are necessary for the story which seems to happen in like i would say the last 10 to 15 paragraphs right so how much do you need to get those last 10 to 15 paragraphs it's a style choice it doesn't work for me but that's just me and, and as I was thinking about it a lot, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to think of what it reminded me of. That, and it's quite direct, right? There, it's quite direct, and it reminded me, I think, of Dennis Johnson's first novel, Angels, which I would have read after Jesus, Jesus's Son, the short story collection, which all of them are linked, mm-hmm. and um, it's kind of a novel, but it's also short stories. And Jesus's Son really worked for me, and. Um, Angels, I remember being direct and I think kind of, I, I think in that case of violent. It's been more than 20 years since I've read it and I looked for it on my shelf. I don't have it because it wasn't my favorite, so I must have sold it. Um, and so I couldn't really refer to it. So this is maybe an exact comparison, but I think there's just something about the directness of both this story and Angels, which I think was a celebrated first novel that just didn't happen, doesn't happen to work for me. And there is also, I don't know if that repetitiveness is in Angels, but for me, I don't I don't know what the repetitiveness, how that adds up to something other than yeah. sort of a diary. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I tend to have a similar reaction where, you know, you don't always feel when you're reading Brian Washington that you're in the in the hands of a master 
um, a master jeweler who will ensure that every moment is, you know, your, your emotions are controlled and your perspective is, you know, carefully crafted. And by the end, you will feel this, you know, this and that. I've never felt that way about his writing. Um, I have stuck with it, though. And, you know, I think I, I, I have an unfair advantage because I, I have the Houston connection and he's just deeply a Houston writer. He's unabashed about naming Houston neighborhoods and, and describing them and living in, within them. And, and so for me, there's a very um, personal connection. So, again, it's a little bit unfair. But, you know, I, I thought about the same thing. What what ends up happening when I read him is I I start and I have this feeling like like pull me in so bring me into this like give me a, give me something to latch onto but then when I stick with it I end up in almost a like I don't know a trance state or a a state of sort of forward propulsion that is not what I always, you know, it's not, it's not what you think of necessarily in a great short story. Nevertheless, I'm moving forward in this, and I'm, I'm living in this world, and I'm, and I'm engaging with it. I mean, I, in this case, I thought the repetitive Uber drivers um, was, was strong, because there was this, I mean, just the sheer humanity of it that he I, I really love how straightforward he is about who the characters are where they're from what they look like what color their skin is you know what why that makes a difference for them how someone with a different skin color is going to respond to them like I think he's addressing that in a way that you just at least in what I typically read which I'm sure skews you know towards what you would predict but he he is folding that into a, a story in a way that you just I don't think see very often that's so honest and upfront about it. So I think it is diaristic in a way, but to me it's it's his his way of saying this is what I'm doing. This is this is what I do. Um, and for me in this story, it 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 added up to something bigger than its parts. It became a kind of a litany or almost, you know, like a recital or something, um, which is, you know, it's, it's undercut and screwed with in the, with the plot and the voice and the characters and kind of the, the ins and outs of all that. Um, but there is a quality that I, there is that quality I find in everything of his that I read where I'm, I'm, I'm pulled along by some energy that I can't quite name that's different than what I get, have gotten from anything else that I've read. I can see Which that. I don't think is totally dissimilar to what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I can see that, and I think I didn't at no time did I find it difficult to read or did I want to put it down. It was an easy read, which is I don't think an easy thing to do. Um, that to make you continue to turn the page and see what happens next. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe right. We talked about you know where stories begin and end. For me, maybe it could have uh, begun later in the story. But also, I'm I'm also really aware that like in the Shirley Jackson story, I had difficult mother to latch on to, 
And if it just so happened mm-hmm. that there was something for me to latch onto in this story, which for me there isn't, but for plenty of other people there probably is, that might have been enough, right? To have a, that little something to latch onto that would have mm-hmm. uh, kept me into it. And that's, you know, the yeah. story doesn't have to have anything for me to personally latch onto, so. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, it's funny being in a writing workshop. What happens is, you know, you spend some time with everybody. You get to know who they are. You get to know how they talk about things, how they present themselves, what's what's interesting to them. You know what they look like. Um, and so you end up, you know, and I think this is a fault in a way of a writing workshop. You end up knowing what their voice is as a person. And so when you're reading what's on the page, you 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 basically apply the voice to them. You know, one guy's a lawyer and I, you know, he's got a strong voice and raises his voice and is a kind of passionate, gesticulating guy. And he wrote a story about a lawyer, you know? And so there were, for me, it was, there was no differentiating between the guy and, you know, the writer who I've gotten to know over these weeks and the story. And I can't even make a judgment (laughs) that, that, you know what what would how would i read this if i found it on a bookshelf it's it it, it's not even something i could judge anymore um i mean i think the real the challenge for the writer on the larger scale like this is you know really you should be trying to create that feeling for every reader and maybe that you know maybe that isn't possible but the artifice of it is is to have every reader who picks it up feel something about what they're reading that pulls them in and you know clearly you're not going to accomplish that universally and it is funny i think that that you know people can respond to stories so differently a lot of people on twitter were very excited about that story the the ryan washington yep. story yeah yeah i mean he's a he's a famous writer you know yeah um uh, so yeah cool um okay next up Rachel Kushner's story, A King Alone. So I'm a big fan of Rachel Kushner's novel, The Flamethrowers, although it's probably been 10 years, maybe since I read it. Um, so I was really excited about this one. And um, just to, the first thing you see is the William Eggleston photo. Um, and then <laughs> William Eggleston makes a cameo in... Um, in the story as well oh, as a photographer yeah. talking about that photo. I thought to myself, I'm going to go back and look and see if that's a William Eggleston photo, and I never got around to it, but I certainly had the thought. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, this is a story about, I mean, it's all very slowly revealed, but it's about a man on a car journey going to see his daughter. And then it, it's there are three hitchhikers, that he picks up and you know that's so interesting for me these three hitchhikers the pattern of these three hitchhikers kind of works for me and that you expect something different to happen with the third hitchhiker and it does but it does in a not in the way that you expect very like in line with i guess some of the things that we've been reading in saunders doesn't make it right or doesn't make like mean that like that's the right way to do it but just the pattern of the drivers in the earlier story wasn't exactly yep the, the mm-hmm. kind of thing uh the, the same kind of thing so this was in a way more expected but then also you know then rachel kushner has to do something unexpected and i think achieves that 
Um, and then his relationship with the daughter is interesting and unexpected. Um, both the, the narrator and uh, his daughter are singer-songwriters, um, and so there's some playing with language in it too. At the end, there's there's a search, and the search takes on this deeper meaning, and in this great kind of way, as I'm reading it, I realize it's taking on, I, I barely realize that it's taking on this deeper meaning, and then there's this right in the last sentences, nothing even changes, but for me there is this deeper realization of the alternate meaning of the search that's happening in the last paragraph that was just kind of transcendent for me. Um, and so that was my reaction to that story, but I have a sense that yours is different. That is so funny. See, I think, I feel like we're illustrating what we were just talking about. I this story didn't do it for me at all. Hmm. I, 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 I appreciate your analysis. I think, I think there's something there. Um, but you know, talking about beginnings and endings, I was totally unsatisfied with where this story ended. And, you know, I think if I was, if I was sort of like in a workshop mode, I would say, you know, to me, the heart of the story was his relationship with his daughter. And yet he spent all this time, you know, worrying about, I, I mean, the, the the whole sort of third writer who was, you know, kind of cagey. And yes, he, he grows obsessed with her well-being, which is mis, dis, misplaced or displaced. But it was just not that interesting to me. Um, a character, you know, the, the, the scrappy hitchhiker who didn't want to talk about anything. <laughs> I was like, okay, f fine. Don't be in the story then if you don't want to talk about anything. I, it just... Yeah, and I, you know, I think that the bigger issue, and this, this is one of those things that I, I, again, I think, you know, certain voices work for people and certain voices don't. The voice for this just didn't work for me. Um, I mean, to me, a a country music singer songwriter from Nashville sounds a certain way, and maybe you know, maybe it's. It's the Steve Earle, Guy Clark, um, you know, who, who like Jason Isbell, whatever, like sounds a certain way. And it just, that never clicked for me. Uh, I never heard that from the narrator or from the character. So, so the, that expectation, um, the bar was set high and it just never, it never found its way into my ear. Um, which is tough. It's a, it's a high bar. Um, but I, what did I found? I just saw one line at the very top that kind of reminded me. Um, I'll find it and then left off. Should we just start the whole episode over? Yeah, that's fine. I'll just keep rolling. <laughs> Three, two, one. Yeah, and so, so it didn't, it didn't click, um, Maybe nobody's fault. I'm glad you really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was just going to, uh, I'm going to just to like underscore. This is what I wrote in my uh, notebook right after, right after reading it, which I just love now because I know we have a completely different take, but I wrote the search for the miss, missing hitchhiker. I understand what it means fairly early, but there's still this wave of feeling that overwhelms me unexpectedly as I understand it deeper hmm. at the end. So it's just wow. great. I mean, it's great to me that like 
for me, I was like, whoa. And for you, you're like, meh. Yeah. I think it's it's so hard to do, <laughs> to to write a story that, again, that holds a wide swath of people for long enough that it takes to achieve what you want. It's just a hard thing to do. And, you know, four stories by a divergent group of writers, it's, it is really fascinating to think about the different reactions that each of those can, can engender in different people. Well, let's see how we do with the fourth, right? Ling, uh, Ling Ma's... Well, let me ask you... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you a philosophical question, right? So if you read... If you were to read a story like either one of these, Arrivals or A King Alone, and, and let's say you didn't like it, so, you know, my reaction to the Kushner story, your reaction to the Washington story... Are you going to give that writer another chance in a different work? Or are you going to say to yourself, you know what? I don't think I click with this writer. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move on. You're going to read The Flamethrowers by Rachel Kushner. And I'm going to read. <laughs> right. I don't want most to Most likely the novel by <laughs> Brian Washington, especially because, I, you know, if I've got, if I've got the right person, I think that, uh, I've seen that Brian Washington includes photos probably of Houston in the novel or the stories or, you know, I now I understand that he writes about food. So maybe I'm misremembering and it's in his writing about food. Uh, it's in his nonfiction that he's including photos. But the idea that there's something that uh, to me is kind of like a uh, Sebaldian, um, but Houston and, uh, you know, different person seems pretty interesting to me. So what would you recommend the novel or the stories? Well, if you don't like this story, I wouldn't recommend either of them okay. to you. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, you still have to I read think, the flamethrowers. Okay. Sorry, buddy. I think that's okay. Yeah, no, I'm not going to read the flamethrowers. Why would I? Oh, it's great. Set in the art scene in well, the 70s. Well, I can't trust your opinion Italy, now. And I hear, but the, <laughs> I, just listen. This is going to seal the deal for you. And a lot of it's about motorcycles. Okay, that is appealing. Mm-hmm. All right, so you're 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 making the case for give it another shot, even if you didn't like one story. Yes, and you're telling me not to bother with either. <laughs> <laughs> That's on you, buddy. All right, the final story in this in this New Yorker fiction ep, uh, edition is Peking Duck by Ling Ma, which man blew my socks off. Me Holy too. Cow. My, the last two words Holy of my cow. review were fucking delightful. I mean, this, uh, this story, hard to describe. It's in sections. So it's, it's in hmm? hard to describe. Good luck. Yeah. Well, it's in, it's in sections that are numbered and they're, they're relatively short, but they, they pick up steam. And, you know, this is a weird case in which it's a perfect, uh, fourth story for us to talk about because, in the first section, I was not hooked. I was a little bit like, okay, I'm I'm not quite feeling the voice, or I'm not something's not quite getting me here. And then the and I couldn't quite place uh, where I was. And then the second section kicks in, and it's a little more of a continuation, but it starts to it starts to lock itself in a little bit. Yeah, um, and. You know, there's there's a disorienting change of point of view, 
and a disorienting, I would guess I would say, change of text. And, you know, I, I really am, I don't think we should spoil it, even though, you know, I suppose if anyone was that interested, they would Fair. probably have read the stories ahead of time. But in this case, like, to, to know about it ahead of time is going to kind of take, t- t- to me, the very delightful, Certainly. disorienting part away. Certainly. And so I guess I would just say that it is a story about a, um, well, it is a story about trying to compose a story about a um, housekeeper. Uh, no, a nanny, not a housekeeper. That becomes important. Well, a, mo- a mother. Yep. A mother who works as a as a nanny. Um, and is an immigrant and you know something that would that's something that's fairly not typical of a story but something that is very much a short story plot hat right so like something unexpected happens and it's about the reaction to that but the story well let's say yep. to, to me it's a perfect and, and i'm sure the editors knew this it is a perfect bookend a perfect way to end what began uh meaning the fiction edition with a story of a daughter or a child uh deconstructing the words of her mother as her mother engages with the crazy world oh yeah i mean this is this is that story blown up and presented with a masterful hand and to to just leave you absolutely wrung out to dry by the end of it uh wondering why you ever tried to write anything because someone's already figured it out and the world doesn't need you to write anything else. <laughs> yeah. That's how I finished this story. I think I think last episode I briefly talked about Vertigo and there's the famous Vertigo shot, which uh, Martin Scorsese also uses in Goodfellas, which I think maybe people might be slightly more familiar with. It's a disorienting shot, a zoom in and a pullback at the same time. It makes you kind of dizzy. And that is how I felt. Like That is how I felt yeah. as we were like, zooming in and pulling back on the story at the same time it was amazing to me that a short story could make me feel the way that shot looked and uh, well said well listen everybody keep reading fiction keep reading keep writing keep trying keep enjoying keep steep yourself in all this stuff it's good for your brain and your soul i think i've enjoyed talking about it with you adam uh and let's do this again sometime very soon what do you say that sounds good i hope ryan uh ryan reads these stories and talks about them next year when he's supposed to be talking about the future years issue and also you know if you have we have strong opinions about the rachel kushner story and the brian washington story and i'd be particularly interested in hearing why Ted is wrong about the Kushner story, but I'd also be interested in hearing why I'm wrong about the Washington story. If you don't like the Ling Ma story, I don't give a shit. Um, yeah. yeah, but otherwise, hit us up. <laughs> you can find us on the web at takenote.space. That's a, that's a web site on the internet. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Take Note Pod, and you can find us on Patreon if you want to support the show. Hey, up to you. Not a lot of promises, no special episodes, no hoopla. Uh, but if you have enjoyed the show, and you know it's been free all this time, it's our our great pleasure in life to do it. But if you do want to support us, head over to Patreon.com/slash/take. Note. This show's free. I've been paying for it. 
<laughs> Take care.